There are a few stories in the Bible that most people think they know, even if they never open their Bibles themselves. The Nativity is an obvious recent example of one such story. Noah's Ark is another, and of course, Jonah and the whale. Of course, if you don't read the full story, you might get some of the details wrong. How many wise men were there? Good, because the Bible doesn't tell us. Nobody shouted out three there that I heard, so that was good. How many animals went into the ark? Aye, good, good, good. People here are good. Uh, Because the animals went in two by two, one pair of each, apart from the birds and the clean animals, and seven pairs of them went in. And Jonah, of course, was swallowed by a great fish, not by a whale. I don't know if it was an oversized goldfish like in my picture. (laughs) And maybe the the anatomical details of Jonah's marine saviour are irrelevant. Does it really matter what kind of animal it was? The key point is that Jonah was saved through God's will. The question of whether it was a fish or a whale shouldn't distract us from the miracle of Jonah's survival, which is the important part of that story that Anne gave us a little summary of before she did the Bible reading. But on the other hand, more modern research has actually uncovered other stories of men being recovered alive from the stomachs of sharks, but not from whales. And thus the detail of this fish being a fish as opposed to a whale is supported independently by more modern research. The Bible is accurate. And too many people today like to dismiss the Bible and its stories as being fanciful, as folklore, as fairy tales. They like to say that if we believe that kind of stuff, we must be soft in the head deluded in some way. What matters? The factual things of life. The things we can see, the things we can touch. Some people are all too willing to pick holes in the Bible to say that some of the things described could not have happened. Of course, these arguments always ignore inconvenient facts. And perhaps the greatest of these inconvenient facts is that the risen Christ was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses and was physically touched by some of these. And you only need two eyewitnesses to to prove a fact in a court of law. And the Bible, in its generous nature, provides 500. But that is an inconvenient fact which the naysayers prefer to ignore. And the Bible itself, or parts of it at least, is provably accurate. There is astronomical evidence of a bright star 2,000 years ago. There is archaeological evidence of a great flood. 
And there is, as I said, that independent support for men being rescued from inside fish, but not whales. Nineveh, in our story, was a real place. Archaeologists have literally dug into it. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and it was huge. Its inner city wall was about eight miles in circumference, and that was surrounded by suburbs and other outer defensive fortifications. The Bible's description of Nineveh as a great city is correct, and it could easily have taken Jonah three days to walk across it if he was stopping to talk to people and to preach during that journey. And archaeologists have also found some of the imperial records from Nineveh, and these testify to the unbelievable cruelty of the Assyrian emperors. They actually take pride in their slaughters. They boast of their tortures. Writing a hundred years or so after Jonah, the prophet Nahum described it as a lying, murderous city and wrote of its endless cruelty. And this accords with the archaeological evidence of the Assyrians' own imperial records. Again, the Bible story is supported by physical evidence. And Jesus, too, endorsed the story of Jonah. And that's actually quite unusual, and it therefore lends the story of Jonah an extra aura of authenticity. Jesus only ever referred to four Old Testament prophets— Jonah was one of them, as well as Isaiah, Elijah, and Elisha. And what this tells us is that for all of its strangeness and seeming exaggeration in terms of the big fish, Jonah was a real person, and his story is one that is factually accurate and is to be believed literally. And so we have Jonah told by God to travel northeast to Nineveh, who instead set sail westwards towards Tarshish. The ship is about to be wrecked in a storm. Jonah knows that he is the cause and tells the sailors to throw him overboard. To their credit, they try to avoid doing so, and then these pagan sailors prayed to Jonah's God, that's our God, for forgiveness. God then gets the great fish to rescue Jonah and return him to dry land. Given a second chance, and we all need second chances, Jonah decided to obey God and set out on what was actually about a 500-mile walk to get to Nineveh. And in doing so, he actually became the first recorded foreign missionary. Up till that time, prophets had only been sent to their own country or to their own people. But here, Jonah is going to a foreign country, to a place and to a people that he knew only by reputation. 
I think it's worth saying a little more here about that reputation and to consider Jonah's possible motives for his initial refusal to follow God's command and also for his later grumpiness at God's mercy that comes up in, in verse 10 in chapter 4 of this book. The Assyrians were indeed a cruel people and their empire ran on fear and torture. They were a major power and they were a military threat to Israel and Judah. There's no doubt that, Judah would, that Jonah would have feared for his own personal safety in going to Nineveh, but he may also have thought of the prophecies of Amos and Hosea that the Assyrians would indeed take Israel captive. It may be that quite apart from his own safety, Jonah did not want to help Israel's enemy and then became annoyed at God for doing just that. And the reason I've gone down that digression is that it highlights God's forgiving nature. It's a message of good news. It highlights that God does not want anyone to be lost. Sin hurts God, and God wants people, all people, to turn away from their sins. God, of course, knew that whatever success Jonah had it would be temporary and that the Assyrians would soon return to their old ways. However, for a short time, evil was stopped, the sins were forgiven, and God could be happy for that short interlude. Anyway, back to the story. And Jonah is now the world's first recorded foreign missionary. That's a scary thought. He was on his own. Nobody with him. Jesus sent out the 72 in pairs within their own country. But God sent Jonah abroad, alone. And he was going right into the heart of the enemy, into the lion's den. And he was bringing a message that they did not want to hear. You can't blame him for being scared. And then, to Jonah's surprise, the people listened and believed. They took heed. Now, I don't think that grumpy, nervous Jonah was necessarily a great preacher. I think the Holy Spirit needs to get a lot more of the credit than he does in the story. God had told Jonah what to say, but the Holy Spirit had opened their ears and their hearts to heed the message. The Ninevites, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth as a sign of repentance. If Jonah was the world's first foreign missionary, this is perhaps also the greatest ever single spiritual renewal. And God was moved by the extent of the repentance shown by the Ninevites and postponed their destruction by a hundred or so years. There's a lesson here for us as well. The Ninevites had shown repentance. They had responded to God's message through Jonah and through the Holy Spirit. It's never too late to repent. And however badly we have behaved, God wants us 
to repent so that he can forgive us. God saw the Ninevites' repentance and had mercy upon them, just as he wants to forgive all of us. The story of Jonah continues with him leaving the city to watch what would happen to it. In other words, there was no follow-up to the message that he brought. They were given the message and then left to their own devices. When Jesus sent out the 72, it was to prepare the way for his forthcoming visit. But Jonah's was a one-time message, and that doesn't usually work for very long. The people heard the word, but it was soon forgotten. And that's human nature. Use it or lose it. If we don't follow up with people that we have told about Jesus, most will drop away. If we don't keep refreshing our own spiritual batteries, we too will run flat. We do need to keep attending church and meeting with other Christians. We do need to keep on reading our Bibles. We do need to keep on praying. We do need to be ready to share the good news with other people, just as Jesus told the fishermen in our Gospel reading. And we need to keep on reminding people of the good news. Nineveh was a pagan place. It was idolatrous. And part of the message of Jonah is that God cares about all people and not just those who believe in him. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians of the promise that God made to the Gentiles. This is all part of the good news. It is something to be shared with all people. That same promise of universal salvation is found elsewhere in that letter. And this stands against the common perception of a judgmental God out to punish. Far from it, we worship a God who wants to forgive a God who wants to save. That is part of the good news, and that comes from the Old Testament, from Jonah. But perhaps the greatest part of the good news is that God offers us immortality. God offers us, he actually holds the door open for us to enter into our true home with him. Paul, again, writing this time to Timothy, tells us that Jesus has ended the power of death. And think about this for a minute. If you are a pagan, if you are a non-believer, life is the way to death. When you're gone, you're gone. End of story. But if you're a believer, the good news is that life on earth is the way to a greater, longer life at home with God. Our lives here and now are just a short interlude before we go home to God. And that is the good news that we are called to share, and to share as widely as we can. Our lives now are our opportunities to be foreign missionaries, sharing the good news in an alien environment.
Don't get me wrong, that sharing is hard work. Jonah had a tough time getting to Nineveh, although his three days there actually turned out to be much easier than he had expected. In our reading from Mark, Jesus called some fishermen to come and help spread the good news. Jesus picked ordinary people, hard-working men, to be his disciples. He didn't promise them an easy life. He didn't promise them a fat pay packet. He didn't offer them any of the luxuries of life here on earth. Instead, he offered them a continuation of their tough professional work, but catching people rather than fish. We are called as Christians to spread the good news. We are called to tell other people about Jesus, and that isn't easy. We can tell people in words, we can tell people in actions, but we will likely have more failures than we do successes. But the message is clear from both of today's readings. We have to try and we have to keep on trying. Professional fishing, as Simon, Andrew, James, and John did, is a repeating activity. You catch fish, you sell them. You catch fish, you sell them. And fishing for souls is just the same. We have to keep on casting our nets. We have to keep on trying to bring people home to God. But always be encouraged. God's hand is in everything, and His Holy Spirit will pick up from our human efforts. Amen.